Good morning. My name's Doug, one of the pastors for our church. And uh, you may be wondering, oh, okay, brand new church, just launched. Why are they doing a sermon series in the book of Exodus? I don't know, okay? Like, we, maybe, no, actually, we believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God. All of these words in this book are his words. And so we're in the book of Exodus, journeying through, discovering more and more of who God is. So let me start this morning by asking you a question. Who is your favorite superhero? Who's your favorite superhero? I mean, over the years, comic books and movies and cartoons have given us some really cool superheroes. There's the classic Superman. um, And then there's kind of the socially awkward superhero, Batman. um, And then his really short sidekick, Robin, who Eric just might be taller than Robin um, on a good day. Uh, But anyways, we love superheroes. My son often asks me, hey, dad, who's your favorite superhero? And my answer is always the same, Iron Man. I like Iron Man. Now, I know he's not like Captain Morality or Captain America, but there's something I really like about Iron Man. On his own, Iron Man can't win a fight. But given this supernatural power, this this like heart transplant that he gets, and his armored suit, then Iron Man can kick some tail, win the day, and live to talk some trash. And I like that about Iron Man. So regardless of who your favorite superhero is, every superhero faces an enemy, like a villain, the bad guy. And what we um, know about the bad guys is the bad guys always lose, right? They always lose. I mean, maybe for a moment, it looks like the bad guy's doing good or the bad guy's gonna win, but it's a short-lived moment. The storyline usually goes something like this. Superheroes doing great, saving people, yay. Oh no, superhero faces a new obstacle. What's gonna happen? Bad guy raises to power. What's gonna happen when the bad guy takes over? And then at the last minute, superhero swoops in, saves the day, and we all clap and cheer even though we paid too much for our popcorn at the movie theater. That's kind of the storyline. Iron Man, Superman, the Hulk, whoever it is, they all win even though the bad guy tried their best. It's almost as though each new movie or each new episode is brought out to show us a new way that Iron Man rules, a new way that Jack Bauer tracks down the terrorist and brings him to justice, Uh, like a new way that Diego gets through the forest to save the poor little turtle, right? Like in a lot of ways, the bad guys serve to highlight the power of our superheroes, And so it is also in the book of Exodus. Exodus is the second book in your Bible, and it is an epic but true story. In Exodus, God's people are oppressed and enslaved, and God promises to come and rescue them, to redeem them, bring them up out of slavery, up out of Egypt. But first, God encounters a bad guy. He encounters an enemy, and in the book of Exodus, the enemy is Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the ruler over all of Egypt, and Pharaoh is this classic, like, powerful but stubborn and stupid bad guy. So Pharaoh's pushback, his his fight against God, really serves to highlight God's power, and we see that especially in this story of the plagues. Pharaoh's rebellion serves to magnify God's power. So there's 10 different plagues, and you can think of it as 
10 different episodes of your favorite Netflix superhero show. Every episode shows us a new aspect of God's power, a new way that God wins the day and shows off his power. Now, before we get too far, let me just define what I mean by God's power. And congratulations, you have notes in your program. So flip your program over, grab a pen, take some notes, track along. Let's discover more about God's power. Here's how I want to define God's power. God's power is his ability to do for you what you can't do for yourself. God's power is his ability to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So in Exodus, God's people couldn't get out on their own. They were enslaved. They didn't have the power, but God uses these plagues to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves. That is God's power. So if you walked in this morning and you are tired or weak, good news, God has power for you. If you feel like you are under the pile or overwhelmed, God has power for you. Weak or strong, scared or brave, the story of these plagues will show us that God has power for us. And this power of God wasn't just a one-time shock and awe campaign to rescue the Hebrews. This God of power is alive and well today. And for those who have put their trust in Jesus, it is God's power for you and God's power in you. So what we're going to do is we're just going to track through these plagues, this story. And I want to draw out four truths about God's power, okay? So the first truth is this that you can write down in your notes. God's power can be mimicked. God's power can be mimicked. If you need to know how to spell mimic, look on the screen. Like, the, like my computer corrected me like 18 different times. Like, how do you even spell this word? So God's power can be mimicked. Or you could write in God's power can be copied, duplicated, falsified. So that might sound surprising. So let me show it to you in the text. The battle between God and Pharaoh begins at the Nile River. To Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the Nile River was like a god to them. It provided for their economy, for their families, for their future growth. I mean, the Nile River was everything to them. So God chooses to show his power by turning the Nile River into blood, which pretty much destroys the Egyptian families and Egyptians' economy and Egyptians' future hope of growth. But after God turns the Nile into, um, into blood, Pharaoh calls his magicians together, and we see Exodus 7.22. Exodus 7.22 says, But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh had these magicians. This would be like kind of priest for the Egyptian gods. Pharaoh calls them together, and those magicians are able to do the same thing that God just did. God's power can be mimicked. So God takes it up a notch, and he then plagues Egypt with frogs. Like frogs everywhere, in the river, in the yards, in the house, pots, pans, beds, pillows. You open the flower jar, and out pops a frog. I mean, frogs everywhere. I don't know about you, but I don't think frogs are cute. They're disgusting, okay? If a child, one of my children brings me a frog, he's like, look, daddy, I found a frog. I'm like, that's not cute. That's nasty. It could pee on me, okay? Frogs are evil. That's why God sent them as a plague, not as a Christmas gift, all right? Frogs everywhere, okay? Then Exodus 8, verse 7 happens. 
but the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. It's interesting. Two times now, the first two plagues, God's power is mimicked. It's copied. And because these Egyptian magicians can copy God's power, Pharaoh's response is to harden his heart to God. He closes off to God. Church, did you know that God's power can still be mimicked today? It can still be copied today. In fact, you and I probably experience it on a daily basis. Take money, for example. So money is also the engine of our economy. Okay? And like the Nile River in Egypt, money is just a tool. It's not inherently good or inherently bad. But without money, our future and our families would be destroyed. Okay, So there's these magicians of money in our culture that tell us more money will satisfy you. If you could just get that raise, hey, maybe if you go back this weekend, you'll actually win big. Don't be generous. Don't give that money away. Keep it for yourself. The more money you get, the happier you will be. The magicians of money promise us that if we get more, we will be satisfied. And the funny thing is, it's true. A little more money will make you a little bit happier. That raise would make you feel wonderful. Keeping that money for yourself will make you feel great for a little while. God's power can be mimicked. It's like an alcoholic discovering a bottle that he hid years ago. When he sees that bottle, it promises him a little bit of peace, a little bit of power, and it's true. It's true. Alcohol has the power to make you feel better. And so does pornography and sex outside of marriage and gambling and cheating at work and eating Breyers mint chocolate chip ice cream every night before you go to bed or natural vanilla with banana sliced and put on the top of it or Breyers 100th anniversary birthday cake flavored ice cream. I think you get the idea, okay? We live in a power saturated world driven by our experience. And all of those experiences mimic or copy God's power. And all of those experiences have their own little magicians that will lie to us and say, this is better than God. This is better than God. So can I ask you, church, what power do you crave? Maybe it's a chemical addiction or a particular experience, or just a craving for a little bit more personal freedom. Maybe it's a job that you really want, or a leadership position, or just the ability to pay the bills at the end of the month. What power do you crave? It's in that particular area of your life that we need to be aware that God's power can be copied. And when we give ourselves to that lesser power, we end up more and more like Pharaoh, hardening ourselves to the real God of power, stiff-arming the real God of power. So the first truth that we see about God's power from these plagues is that God's power can be mimicked. But the second truth is this, God's power can't be matched. 
It can be mimicked, but it can't be matched for long. We're only two plagues in to a 10 plague story, right? God's just getting warmed up and stretched out. He hasn't taken the sweats off and gone into the game just yet, okay? So the third plague is gnats, little, annoying, disgusting gnats, okay? So God sends the plague of the gnats, and then we get Exodus chapter 8, verses 18 and 19. And it says this, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Boom. God's power was mimicked for a little while, but it wasn't matched for long. It's kind of like me having an arm wrestling match with the rock, okay? He might play nice and let me feel like I'm winning for a little while, but let's not fool ourselves. Sooner or later, I'm going to lose, right? God's power can be mimicked for a little while, but it can't be matched for long. And these gnats, it says, are just the finger of God. He hasn't even brought out the biceps or his full force tackle. That comes later. God is able to defeat the Egyptian magicians just by raising his finger. God's power can't be matched. It was true then, and it is true today for us. Again, go back to money. Let's enter back into our lives, our time. Think about money again. The magicians of money are going to say, money will satisfy you. More money means more joy. But God says to us, I will satisfy you. I am enough. Money says, get more of me and I'll make your life better. But God says, get more of me because I am better. Whenever we listen to God, whenever we trust the words of God, we tap into the power of God. So when we listen to God's words about being generous and giving our money away, when we listen to God's words about managing our money in the ways that he's taught us to do that, we tap into the power of God in that area of our lives, his power for us and his power in us. Now, I'm not saying that if you give 10% to our church this morning that you're going to get extra special blessings this week and a free autographed t-shirt from Willie. I wish I could say that, but I can't. But what I am saying is that whenever you trust the words of God, you tap into the power of God and you will experience his power, especially his power to satisfy your soul, to meet your deepest longings, whether it looks like a lot of money or no money, he can satisfy your soul when we trust his words. That's the power of God. For me personally, the area where I'm most tempted to lean into or trust a lesser power is me. Like when I'm really stressed out or I'm in conflict, the power source that I often turn to is myself. Like my theme song is, I've got the power, right? There's a reason I don't lead worship here. So I think I can figure this out. I've got this covered. I'll work this out. I can do this, but I am a lesser power. God is the greater power. And so what God does is he puts me in situations and circumstances where I have to discover that my power runs out, but his power keeps going. God in his power makes me realize that I need his power power. I can mimic God's power for a little while, but at the end of the day, I have to trust his power that can't be matched. Amen? Amen. So that's the point number two about God's power. So the first thing is it can be mimicked for a little while, but it can't be matched for long. Got two more truths for you. The third one is this. God uses his power for his people's freedom. 
God uses his power for his people's freedom. So look at Exodus chapter 8, verses 21 and 22. It says, The houses of the Egyptians will be filled with swarms of flies. So that's the next plague, flies. And also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies will be there. So God's power is bringing judgment on the Egyptians and Pharaoh and their gods. But that same power is protecting his people from those plagues. Look at Exodus chapter 9 verse 4. Next chapter over. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. God uses his power to make a distinction, to protect and to ultimately lead his people out to freedom. The plagues that were against Pharaoh, God's enemy, were just as much for the Hebrews, God's people. When God goes to battle, he comes in power and he does it on behalf of his people. The Hebrews had suffered under the terrible rule of Egypt for decades. They were ridiculed, beaten, tortured, used, and abused. In other words, they were powerless. But where they were powerless, God was powerful. What they couldn't do for themselves, they couldn't get themselves out. What they couldn't do for themselves, God did for them. And God is still in the business of using his power for our freedom. Amen? Amen. He's still in that business. So can I ask you, where do you feel powerless? Where do you feel unable, broken, needy? We all feel powerless probably in different areas of our lives, but I think the most significant area that I want to draw our attention to is our own sin. Just like the Egyptians were terrible taskmasters over the Hebrews, so also our sin can be a terrible taskmaster over us. I feel like no matter how much I fight, I can't shake off my sin. I feel powerless. No matter how much I try to do better or work harder or figure this out, I can't get rid of my selfishness and get rid of my sin. I find myself powerless. But the good news is that where I am powerless, God is powerful. God is powerful for me through his son, Jesus Christ. I can't shake off my sin, but Jesus Christ did. He lived perfectly. He lived sinless. He was selfless, even though I am selfish. And he did all of that on my behalf, in my place. God shows his power for me through his son, Jesus Christ, who did what I can't do. Okay? The other thing, that's not it. God's powerful for me in Jesus, but he's also powerful in me through the Holy Spirit. Okay, God shows his power for me through Jesus who lived in my place and he shows his power in me through the Holy Spirit. God is using his power. He's putting his power, the Holy Spirit in me right now so that I have the power to fight against sin day by day. Let me illustrate this. So when I'm like looking down the barrel of conflict in my marriage, I did something wrong or I said something hurtful or I neglected to love my wife in a certain way. When I'm in that place, I tend to approach it in one of two ways. I either approach it with pride. I know I'm right. She's wrong. I'll just show her where she's wrong, okay? Dudes, if you're ever there, just let me know. It doesn't go well. 
So I approach it either with pride or I approach it with a sense of defeat. Why can't I be a good husband? Am I ever going to figure this out? What's so wrong with me? Here's the deal. God's power for me removes that pride part of me because it tells me, Doug, on your own, you are selfish. You're powerless. Jesus had to be selfless on your behalf, and Jesus did that. That is God's power for me that removes my pride, and God's power in me, the Holy Spirit, removes my sense of defeat, and so I can actually expect to change. I can actually anticipate growing in this particular area because the Holy Spirit's working in me. It's the ghost of God sanctifying me. We just sang about So I can actually be different and shed this off because of the power of God in me. So my pride is removed. My sense of defeat is defeated. And that, my friends, is freedom. That is God using his power to remove my pride, remove my self-pity and say, Doug, come into the freedom. You are set free from the taskmaster of sin. Oh, church, can I tell you this morning that God is for you. In your struggle against sin, that thing that you feel like you just can't get rid of you, rid of, God's for you in that struggle. He's not out to like highlight your errors. He's not against you. He's not out to get you or expose you. He is out for you. He wants to use his power for your freedom and for your good. Because of Jesus Christ, God is for us. Amen, church? Amen. God uses his power for his people's freedom. Last truth is this. God uses his power for his glory. God uses his power to get his glory. Another way to think of glory is to think of fame. And God unashamedly wants to be famous. He will use his power to be famous, to be known, to be worshipped. So look at it in the text. Exodus 9 verse 15. By this point, God has also sent the plagues of the flies, the death of the livestock, and boils. Now we get to verse 15 in chapter 9. It says, and God's speaking to Pharaoh, For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. Hello, God has shown up, okay? The sweats are off, he's in the game, and he's not happy about it, okay? He's basically saying, I could have done away with you, Pharaoh. I could have like just, you know, said goodbye at the beginning of this, verse 16. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. It's the classic superhero storyline. The enemy is raised up a little bit so that we can know more and see more of the power of the superhero. The enemy is given a little bit of limelight so that all of the spotlight will shine on the hero. That's what God did with Pharaoh. He gave Pharaoh some power, some prestige, and some fame so that God could show that he is more powerful, more prestigious, and more famous. Pharaoh thought he was the man, but he was only a man. Pharaoh thought that he ruled Egypt, but God's going, I rule you, Pharaoh. And God isn't only showing his fame and glory over Pharaoh, he's showing his fame and glory over all of the gods of Egypt. Egypt had many, many gods, but they could all be categorized and brought down to three areas. The river gods, the sky gods, and the land gods. And each of the ten plagues comes against 
one of those areas, one of those gods. So God strategically and intentionally is showing his power and glory over and against these Egyptian gods. He wants to be known. So in Exodus 8.22, God says his intent was that Pharaoh may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Exodus 10 verse 2, that you may know that I am the Lord. God is saying, I'm not just the God of the Hebrews. I am the God of gods. I am not just a local tribal deity that can be built by human hands. I am the one true, eternal, unchanging, everlasting God that can't be made by human hands. Egypt was worshiping the river, the sky, and the land, and God's saying, I made the river, the sky, and the land. I'm bigger than that. I'm better than that. He's saying, I am the God of gods. Egypt tried to boil their gods down to something that they could control, something a little more predictable, a little smaller, a little easier to manage. And God is telling them, you can't do that with me. You can't control me. You can't put a lid on me. I am bigger than that. He's saying, listen, you can't put me in a box. You can't put me in a box. And we can't put God in a box. Do you ever try to put God in a box? I've been a Christian for 21 years, and I still try to put God in a box. My favorite box to put God in is the church box. Here, God. You go right in here. You are the God of my church. You can have the whole box, God. You know what? Sunday mornings are yours. And city group is yours, God. You are the God of my church. But then God starts messing with my family box or my job box or my finances box. And I'm like, God, I don't really like that. Could you kind of back off a little bit? I gave you this box and I gave you the whole box. Wasn't that nice enough? And he's like, listen, Doug, I am the Lord of all the earth. I am the Lord of your whole life. You can't box me up. You can't box me in. I will use my power to break out of those boxes so that I can be famous in your heart and in your life. Do you ever try to put God in a box? You see, we all have this tendency to try to boil God down to something or someone that we can control. Something a little more predictable, a little smaller and a little easier to manage. But God wants us to know that he is bigger than that. He is better than that. He will use his power to remove our boxes and be the Lord of our whole lives. God isn't just the God of Sunday morning. He is the God of Monday mornings. He isn't just a God that we visit once a week in a particular building. He's the God who shows up all week long wherever we are. He can't be contained and he can't be controlled. And he won't stop until he is famous in your heart. He won't stop until he's famous in your life. And what is true for us individually is also true for us as a whole church. I love what God is doing in our church. It's incredible, right? There's a family we get to belong to, a loving, joyful family, and God is showing us his power. We're tasting and experiencing his goodness. We're telling our friends, and more of our friends are hearing about the goodness of Jesus. We got to baptize six people before we ever had a public service. I love it. But here's what the story of Exodus tells us. This isn't just the city light thing. 
This isn't, God isn't just the God of our people, our tribe, our city light church. God is the God of our city. He is the king of Council Bluffs. City Light, let's keep dreaming about what God might do. He is the king of our city, and we get to join him as he impacts our city. Okay, imagine this with me, okay? Just imagine this. What if us planting our church, getting started? What if God giving us a building and us multiplying to eight city groups and a youth group and us having to multiply to two services? What if all of that that God has already done is God just lifting his finger? What if God is just getting started? We don't want to box this thing up now, do we? What else might God want to do? How else might God want to be famous in our church? How else might he want to be famous in our city? We can't control him. We can't contain him. So let's let God keep growing. We don't want to box him up. Let's see what he might do. Who might he reach who doesn't yet know Jesus? How might he love the hurting or heal the weak or bring more people? to him so they can experience a loving, joyful family. What might God do with his power for his glory and his fame using even us? Listen, Eric and I didn't plant this church so that we all could have church. We planted this church so that our city could have Jesus. Jesus is the king of our city. Jesus is the Lord of our city. And we can't contain him. We can't put a lid on him. He won't stay in that box. He's going to break out of it using his power. So City Light, let's keep dreaming about what Jesus might want to do. Listen, he can do it through you. He can do it through me. This is getting crazy, but this is who Jesus is. He is out for his glory. He is out for his fame. And therefore, we can't box him up. He'll break right out of it, church. So let's not even try. Once Jesus gets moving, the last thing I want to do is stop him, right? Come on, Jesus. Keep working. Keep moving even through us. Church, the story of Exodus isn't over. The God of Exodus is alive. He showed his power back then, and he will show his power today. Let's be a people. Let's be a family who expect and enjoy his power for his glory and our freedom.